1: Brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl
0: Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast. Stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Rosemary Karaoke, welcome to Better Reading.
2: Thank you, Cheryl, for inviting me.
0: Yeah, I'm. I'm so intrigued to, really looking forward to our conversation. Um, What a story! This is a book called a book that you've written with a ghostwriter called a Joyful Life. And uh, let me introduce you um, to Rosemary. Uh, Fleeing Kenya alone in 1999 to escape family abuse and tribal clashes, Rosemary's early years in Australia were terribly lonely. Her experience helped her recognise that isolation is a huge issue for many migrant women. So Rosemary devised ways to help women leave their house and meet women in similar circumstances. Rosemary is also a multicultural community liaison officer for the Parramatta Police, where she helps migrants who are facing domestic violence, language barriers and financial stress. In in January 2021, 2021... Rosemary won Australian of the Year Award from the Australian Government. Amazing. She was recognised as a country's local hero for her commitment to changing life. So A Joyful Life, which is why she's here to talk to us, is her astonishing memoir, which shows how in the face of incredible hardship, kindness to ourselves and to others can allow us to regain our internal strength. Rosemary it, this book appealed to me on so many levels and I'm going to share this with you and then I want to hear your story and I'm going to share it with yeah. our listeners. Um I, and I've spoken about this many times um on this podcast and for the regulars they know my parents migrated from uh Lebanon
1: mm. to Sydney.
0: Yeah. Um and ultimately ended up with six children and very little language, right? Mm. And it was a hard time. Um but it was a joyous time as well. But mm. one of the things that reminded me when I was reading your book, my mother talked about loneliness a lot and also not being accepted in the community. Like mm. when she'd come to pick us up from school, of course she didn't have the language, so she would stand in the playground by herself while all yeah. the other mothers talked together. Now they're mild compared in their mild um stories compared to yours. But
2: it is the migrant story, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. The is. isolation is a very big thing, uh, because, as you say, the language. And if you have a language, like for myself, I came with English, but I used, I never used to hear and understand the accent. <laughs> and then no one speaks to you. No. And when you even when you're in the bus, nobody will sit next to you. Mm-hmm. When you're in the train, nobody will come near you. Mm. and I used to live in uh, in a eastern suburb which was worse because there were no Africans in fact they, I stayed there for nearly two years I only met two Africans all that time I was there mm. and it is very isolated because one thing, you don't have family uh, you don't nobody wants to talk to you even at work you are so busy and by the time you finish you are running off so that Initial time we are very very and especially mothers. Mothers we are very isolated because uh, we are people who are around the kitchen with other mothers. You know, the maternal people we live as a community. Here we're alone pushing the pram on the road. I remember one day our my car um, uh, broke down, and uh, it was it was uh, during winter, so the duck comes early, and I'm trying to call this men to come and help me. Nobody even they look at me and they just walk off. I will not believe.
0: <laughs> what well, talk to me? See, and this is what I failed to understand um, about our immigration policy: is people very rarely don't understand the journey that has taken most migrants to get to the country. That journey, you know so many times is fleeing war, fleeing prosecution, ah. fleeing famine, fleeing so many, uh, you know, because ultimately, and, and, you know, this is common sense, ultimately all people want is shelter, you know, they want food and they want to live their lives, you know, and yep. nobody leaves their country for no, for a reason
2: other than they can't live there
0: anymore in these circumstances.
2: That's, that's what the locals need to understand. When they see migrants and once the refugees, what comes to their mind is taking away from them. Mm. they taking away from them, but that is not the case. We bring a lot of knowledge, a lot of wisdom, a lot of... You can now go, for example, let's say, Here, I I live in Camden. You will get a Thai restaurant, you'll get an Indian restaurant, you'll get an Italian restaurant, you'll get a Lebanese uh, gozerime, you'll get, which was not there when I came. So it's, I always give an example, it's like white rice and pilau, what do you choose? People go for the Pilau because has got uh, different uh, spices and that's how the people are supposed to live. They're supposed to live together. And my message when I got the 2021 Australian Lock is let us stop living in silos. Because now, I love that analogy because I love food yeah. and I
0: love cooking. <laughs> I love that. Oh, we're just going to go back and just talk about that a little bit because you've just hit nerve yes. with me. Of course yes. we're going to favour the Palau. Because yeah. it is. It is full of flavour. It is full of different spices. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yet plain
2: boiled rice, not much yeah. there. No, yeah. and that's how no. we are living. You yeah. see in the streets, nobody talks to you. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether you have read in the book where uh, nobody was talking to me. Yeah, in a whole 15 units, nobody was talking to me. Mm-hmm. Until I wrote those Christmas cards and I put them under the door saying, Merry Christmas, happy new year. My name is So and so. I live in unit number seven. Could you please be talking to me? Mm. Mm. And that's when they started talking to me. Mm. <laughs>
0: All right. I want to go, I want to go back on your journey of yes. what what how you got here, because it's harrowing. Okay. Yeah. So start at the beginning, start where you want to start and tell us a little bit about how you got to Australia and why you left your homeland.
2: I came to Australia in 1999, uh, and I was running away from the tribal clashes in my small village in Kenya, a place called Eldoret. There was a tribal clashes, which is politically instigated because we have been born there. And on every time during elections, that's why the people start fighting that you need to go back to your country, I mean to your area, because in... Um, where we live most of the farms used to be for British and then when the British left we bought them from the from the government or from the owners and now they are telling us to but for me I'm 63 years here today i I have never gone to where they presume i came from so I was running away from that and I, I, it was very very hard for me because I left my two children and that was the hardest thing I've ever done and tell so me I about did, that decision. When um, the trip crashes came, it was very bad. I, I, I was hit here by a hammer for a long, many, many, many years. I had a very big uh, um, swelling in my head. And um, I used to do, uh, I had a business uh, selling uh, uh, beauty products. And my shop was broken into or stolen. And uh, it was, it, my life was in danger. And I thought, I don't have a job. I have two children. I don't know, but like I was doomed. And I, I just hated what was happening. And my mind was, I have to leave this country. And I wanted to go to the farthest, farthest place from Kenya because I love Kenya. And this is what, I couldn't believe that's what was happening. So that's how I ended up in Australia. And when I came what to Australia... What was came, the
0: journey like? The
2: trip The itself? journey was The trip, <laughs> it's funny because the trip itself... Uh, it stopped five times. I've never known why, but that was my heaven because every time it stops, I am, I'm assured of a roof over my head because I'll have I'm safe in the plane and I have food and it's warm. Mm. So it stopped in Malawi, it stopped in Zimbabwe, it stopped in South Africa. When it came and stopped in a uh, park. And then seen it, and I'm, I'm, I'm people are making noise. They are looking, at I me, mean, I'm thinking, God, oh, you know me, you know I'm in this plane <laughs> because I was thinking, at least I, I, I am, um, I have hope here. So when I arrived, it was at 9.30 at night, and when I came out of the of the plane, I see all these lights at the airport, and I'm like, oh my God, this looks like heaven, mm. Mm. and my aim was. I want to ask you: Did mm. ha, how did you get
0: uh, your status to fly? How were you able to do that?
2: Because I had a business, I had a business of a big business because it was a wholesale and retail, so I had all the documentation they needed. So I, my plan was: I just come here for two years, so I applied for a visitor's visa. Yeah, I come here for like two years, when I'm full, then I go back home. Mm-hmm. That was Got my it. plan. Mm-hmm. So I applied for the visitors visa. I came here, and then I applied for protection visa.
0: Mm.
2: And it took me six good years before I could get my permanent residency. But that didn't stop me doing what I do. Like I was volunteering from the second month I was in this country. Let me go back a bit. So when I arrived at the airport, I'm standing with one with one suitcase and three hundred dollars, and My plan was in my mind. I'll look where the taxis are, and I'll tell the taxi to take me to the cheapest, cheapest motel. So when it is daytime the following day, then I'll deal with it that time.
0: So you didn't know anyone at all. No, I did not know. You didn't know where you were going to live. You didn't have one single connection.
2: Okay, I did not have any single connection. But let me tell you, uh, when I crossed the immigration part of Kenya, I felt as if I was carrying 100 kilos of salt and have been put down. I knew I had this faith. I think my faith played a big thing here. I had, I knew I'm going for a better life. I don't know, but I I I was not scared. I felt like a born-again person. A kid, you know, a kid when he's born is not nothing. That's how I felt. I felt like this light. There's something good happening to me ahead there. And I was right because that's what happened.
1: Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds.
2: Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for
1: me. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN.
2: So when I arrived in the airport, I'm standing there to see my my way about, to see where people are going, to see where the exit is. I've never been to a big airport like that. Is my first time. And remember, I don't come from the city. I come from a small village. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I'm standing there very brave as if I'm waiting for so-and-so to come and pick me. And that's when I see this Ethiopian lady. And I saw, this is Ethiopian. And the, I went I just left my book, and it just, she was going. And I just came to her and I said, how are you? Uh, my name is Rosemary. And within not even two minutes... I told her, all my story, you take me or you leave me. Mm -hmm. And when I told her how I've come, I said, I don't don't know anyone and I don't know where I'm going and blah, blah, blah. blah. She told me, don't worry, come with me. Oh, gosh. And when I'm in the cab, her her name is called Meskerem. And Meskerem, up to today, she's still my very, very good friend. And I always call her my Aussie mom. (laughs) beautiful story yes and she took me in she was living at that time in a place called Carlton. Carlton is in george saint george area and in in the camp saying i was freaking myself because i'm thinking oh my god i'm going to somebody's house and i say i'll wash your feet i'm telling myself i'll do everything for you to let me stay with you until I stand on my two feet. And that's what exactly happened. She looked after me like a a, a lost sister. (laughs) How long did you stay there? I stayed with her, I think, two months. And she wanted me to stay for, for, for longer. Because even her, she didn't have any a lot of friends, only her community. And I'm the one that used to tell her, let's go to the city and show me here. She never, she only used to work, 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 work. Yeah. So she didn't want me to leave. But uh, one thing, she helped me with everything, but she did not have the information. Like, she didn't know how do I stay here? How do I work here? How do I, she didn't have all that information. Because she had a big family she was looking after. So she was working two jobs, two jobs. She had two brother uh, brother and sister living with him so i didn't have that that's that's the problem
0: rosemary too mm. with when we're mm. talking about community and migration that the, mm. you know very often there's no money so yes. they're working two three four jobs i mean yes you know that how do you have a life when you're doing that she
2: did not have a life she had not even gone mm. to the city mm. So it is, it is very hard for the migrants and the refugees. And remember, they are carrying a very heavy load. Uh, so if worse, like me, my children are back home, then you have your extended family. Others, you don't know even where they are. So when you come here, you have to use the services of Red Cross. If you know there's Red Cross to help you uh, locate your families where they are. Mm. So already you are so devastated. You don't know where to start. Then you are given a house, you are given a washing machine, which you have never seen even, uh, you don't even know how to operate it. You, and and people think it's a big thing, but it's a small thing, but it's a very big thing. Mm -hmm. Someone even didn't know how to operate a washing machine. I had not even used one. And even we, I remember, I could not differentiate the money. I couldn't tell the difference between the $5 and $20. You know,
0: um, I have a, a really lovely person I know called Majok Tulba. He's a writer mm. and he's from the Sudan. Mm. Um, and he published a book. And I remember when he got the advance, the money for the book, I mm. said, Majok, you know, it's life-changing. What are you going to do with it? He said, well, I'm going to go to my community and I'm going to see what who needs help, you know, yeah. that, that, that community spirit. But also, too, he told me that when he first got to Australia, well, when he first got to Sydney, he got on a train to travel to the city yeah. and he noticed that no one was frightened, that people were happy and they were talking mm. and they weren't worried about mm. travelling. And he said that, that you know, he came from a place where, you know, it was war almost every day.
2: That is very, very, very true because I remember I used to walk. Work- in a, re- in a restaurant like a kitchen hand, and I used to come home around one and mm. I'm walking in the streets and I'm thinking, oh my God, that's that one? If I couldn't believe that. Mm. So there's it, it so many good things, so many good things, apart from a few things, uh, especially that isolation. But also what I came to learn, why people don't talk to us, not because they don't want us, because they don't know how. Yes. They have the fear. Yeah. they the they, they Will I be culturally correct? Yeah. I, that is what? And I came to know that after many many years living in this country and how it happened. I work with the police at that time. I was working in the Maryland, and um, there's I did a, a morning tea, and this morning tea there was two senior ladies who attended that morning tea, and they said they live in Maryland. We had this full of multicultural people. But they had never talked even to one of them. Mm. And it used to be scary for them. Mm. Because everybody in the streets is from a multicultural background. But they didn't say hi, talk to them because they did not know how to do it. Mm. And they did not they didn't want to annoy anyone. And that's when I came to know. So they don't talk to them because they don't know how to do it. Mm. They are very scared of the unknown. Yeah, but
0: for that me, was. I think I was just about to say fear of the unknown, you know, that's all it is. And also fear, as you touched on that, I think a lot of people are fearful that they're
2: going to say the wrong thing. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, Mm. In this country, that's what I find. Even people don't invite you because they're thinking, oh, my God, what about if they break their leg or whatever, about insurance. People live in that fear. And that is one of the messages I tell people. When people are happy, when people such things don't happen but if you just think oh my god what about this what about that like when they go away with the exchange program a program may take with women to the countryside and some the questions people ask me what the first thing do you have insurance do you have this do you have they're not looking even at the positives mm. the women are so happy they can they go when they are very quiet when they are coming back they are talking like they are typewriters. Yeah. Mm. Mm. There so are people, we need to stop that scare. It's good to have all that in place, but let that not be, like, that's what you are thinking. You're not even thinking, how is that country looking like? How beautiful? What am I going to see? They, yeah, but the women themselves are happy. It's mm. the workers and the other people. Yeah. Mm. How did
0: you get into that line of work, Rosemary? I can see that you have a very big personality and you're a hard worker. But <laughs> what is it? What led to that career path here in Australia?
2: Yeah. Uh, so when I when, when, when I now was living in, uh, with, with Ms. Kareem, I, I realized Ms. Kareem is like a a, 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 chick, a a hen. You know how a hen brings all the kids? She, she was bring that to me, was the mother hen. Yeah. She didn't want me to let me go. Yeah. So I knew for me to be able to, 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 to stand on my own and to, to look for work and to be able to, to help my children, I have to be on my own. Yeah. So I started looking, looking for, I know I'm a Catholic and I know Catholic all churches or religious groups to help people. So I started asking my my Aussie mom, where is the Catholic church? She said she doesn't know. But what I was doing every day, I would walk from her house because I was fearing. I was thinking it's not a safe place like back home. So I'll fear. I'll walk a, a few blocks and come back. The following day, until I reached the, sh- the shop in Kogra. So when I reached the shop in Kogra, then I was looking for a sign until I saw a sign to the church, and I went to the church. Uh, one day, and then I told the priest about myself. And the, what I asked, because I don't know what is there, I said, "Can you get me accommodation from one of the parishioners? I'll, I don't have any money, but I can cleaning the house for them to pay for my stay." That's what I I asked, because that's what I knew. But mm-hmm. down the line, the priest uh, sent me to Saint Vincent, and Saint Vincent are the ones who give me a place to stay in Randwick, and and during that was now my my second month being in this country and i saw a sign saying they are looking for volunteers to visit lonely people at the nursing home and i said hang on rosemary what a very good idea lonely person visiting another lonely person (laughs) and that's how my life of volunteering in this country started two months before in this country and i started volunteering in a place called the Little Sisters of the Poor in Randwick. And I was visiting elderly women who don't have families, or the ones who have families, the families live very far. Like this lady I started with, uh, visiting, God bless her soul. She had 12 children, but these 12 children were all over the world. The one who was nearest was Newcastle. I didn't even know where Newcastle oh, was. Uh, yeah. And then the other one was in Perth. Everyone were all over the world. they used to be a missionary. She was an Australian with an Indian accent. So we used to make love. I have a Kenyan accent. She has an Indian accent, I'm living it with the Australian accent. <laughs> That's the beauty of Australia.
0: It is the beauty of Australia. Rosemary, we're out of time. Your energy is yes. infectious. Um, the book is wonderful. It's called A Joyful Life. I mean, I'm just feeling joyful having spoken to you. <laughs> so thank you so much for your time um, and thank you for sharing
2: your story. Thank you very much, Cheryl. And I would like people to read The Joyful Life because I want them to know that there is a light at the end of the tunnel and forward ever, backwards never, because the sun will rise and it will set. Oh, beautiful. Thank you Thank very you. much. You.
0: If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au.
1: Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.
0: If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.